My name is Linda Rogers, and this is Investing Forward. This episode, I'm chatting with Sina Nelson from Sustainalytics. Sustainalytics is a Morningstar company that rates the sustainability of listed companies based on their environmental, social, and corporate governance performance. I came across Sina's work when I was researching child labor in supply chains. She researches, writes, and presents on the topic of living income or living wages and actively engages with companies on behalf of investor clients. This episode, we will focus on child labor in the production of cocoa. Most of the chocolate we eat comes from cocoa beans harvested in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. In those two regions combined, the 2018-2019 data shows that 1.56 million children were engaged in child labor in cocoa production. This is from a report published by the U.S. Department of Labor in 2020. The work that these children are doing can include clearing the land with chainsaws, spraying pesticides, carrying heavy loads which can permanently injure their spine, using sharp tools such as machetes which has led to injuries, and working long hours. While many of the children are working on family farms that can't afford an adult worker, others are trafficked in from other African countries. Those children are forced into labor, don't attend school, and aren't allowed to see their families. Now, this has been a well-known and documented problem for decades. Unfortunately, chocolate companies have been unable to eradicate child labor from their supply chains. There continues to be pressure from investors, consumers, human rights groups to fix the problem. Besides being a basic human rights violation, eliminating child labor can strengthen a company's supply chain by making it more stable and more resilient. It could also improve investor confidence when there's less of a concern of reputational risk. For example, just last summer, six African men sued Nestle and Cargill, saying that they were former child laborers in the cocoa fields. They were trafficked out of Mali, forced to work long hours on cocoa farms in Cote d'Ivoire, and slept in locked shacks so they couldn't escape. The Supreme Court said U.S. chocolate companies can't be sued for child slavery that occurs on African farms. But stories like this will continue to shine a spotlight of unwanted attention on the chocolate companies. Stina's going to tell us more about this issue and why it has been so difficult to address. She will also share how she collaborates with partners and those trying to drive change and how she keeps companies accountable. Thank you for joining us. Please introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Linda, and thank you for, for having me. So I'm Stina Nilsson. I'm a, a director at the Sustainalytics Stewardship uh, Department, uh, a suite based in, in Stockholm. Um, and uh, professionally, I work um, in, you can say, in the intersection between, between companies and, and investors. Um, so I work engaging companies on various ESG topics on behalf of our investor clients. So, uh, yeah, that has spanned, I mean, various different sectors and, and topics and so on. And um, and and I think I've, I've always been sort of drawn to sectors where there are a lot of challenges, but then also, I mean, lots of um, uh, lots of, of positive change um, that that is, is possible to, to happen. So, 
Um, so that that drive and will also in sectors to do better is something that I'm always always looking for um, in my job. Thank you. Okay, can you tell us a little bit more about Sustainalytics? Yeah, so we're a sustainable finance company, um, and I work um, at Sustainalytics where we serve investors. Um, so we we provide our investor clients with rating services, with research services, and and obviously, I mean, in, in my work, more with engagement or stewardship services, um, and all, of course, within um, various environmental, social, and governance topics. So um, yeah, very exciting times um, also for for this field for sure we're growing and um, I mean the, the broader ESG field is of course um, as well so a moment we've been I mean really looking forward to uh, to see and and now it's here and we I think we need to now cultivate it um, really well. Good and how did you end up working at Sustainalytics? So I came through an uh, an acquisition. Um, so I used to work for a, a company that was um, quite specialized on engagement and stewardship called GES, uh, a Sweden-based company um, that was acquired then by Sustainalytics uh, three years ago now, a little bit more. Um, and we then became sort of the, the stewardship branch um, within Sustainalytics after the acquisition. Great. Okay. Well, I asked you here because you have a deep knowledge of ESG and supply chain issues. Something you've written about is the importance of ensuring that companies are paying a living income throughout their entire supply chain. Why is that something that investors should be concerned about? Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, it's a great question and uh, and a topic close to, to my heart as well. So I think, I mean, for investors, so there are several reasons. I mean, for, you know, for obvious reasons, I think, you know, we all want to do well. And, and you know, when we see um, issues and things, you know, not really being decent, as is the, the issue here, we want to, I mean, simply simply be a part of, of the change to make it better. I think that's quite human. Um, but apart from that, I mean, I think also not the least in, in the pandemic, we've seen that uh, it's so important to, to look at our uh, supply chains um, and, and really look at them being resilient. Um, so I'm not just talking here about, you know, climate risks or logistics and, and things like that. Um, but really also, of course, of, you know, all the people that are in supply chains, hardworking men and, and women um, that are in there and, and, and many of them actually don't um, earn a, a living wage or receive a, a living income for, for their produce. So, so that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's really problematic and, um, and it's important really to, to think of, I mean, what is you know, what is a resilient supply chain then? And of course, you know, you need to look at the people um, in the supply chain then as well. So, so really a question of, you know, do we think that um, supply chains, you know, are better off and more resilient if they're built on, on people that actually can support themselves and their families, um, have afforded, you know, being able to afford education and healthcare and so on? Uh, or do we rely on, on simply on cheap labor um, that, probably would go somewhere else if they have the chance and, you know, they will and are. Um, so, so I think, you know, there is also that besides the obvious, I mean, human, um, more like value-based um, and ethical 
proposal here. I think there is also a, a pure financial proposal, actually. Yes, and while the concept of a living wage is relevant for all companies, one industry that has had its challenges is the cocoa industry. For listeners that are not aware, can you talk more about the problem of child labor in cocoa? Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, it's a sector that I've been interacting with um, a lot, um, and and there have been reports of of child labor for for many many years now. Um, so and and we're talking about reports of um, of something around 1.5 to 2 million children working in in cocoa and cocoa supply chains. So so it's it's maybe worth for for background just I mean first to, to note that um, the main cocoa producing countries in the world are Cote d'Ivoire and and Ghana. So um, so lots of cocoa is produced in in West Africa. And um, and also produced by small scale farmers. So we're talking about millions of, of farmers and typically family farms. Um, and this is this is also where uh, widespread and systemic child labor has has been found and and is is very well documented um, as well. So that's um, yeah, that's that's mainly how how what it looks like in in um, in the cocoa sector and and also widely recognized that that poverty is is really a main uh, root cause behind um, the child labor so so simply I mean you know not having other resorts but uh, but but to I mean to also also have your your children involved in in farming what are some reasons why it's been so hard to eliminate child labor in the cocoa fields yeah no it's um yeah, I think it, I mean it's quite frustrating to to see, and and obviously I mean you can imagine for for people I mean for for the farmers and the the children being in it and living it every day. Um, so I mean this is it's largely I would say because it's this the scale of the issue and and also that it is systemic and and what I pointed to that it's um, I mean one of the the main root causes being um, poverty. So we're talking about here. I mean, about millions of, um, of of farmers that that simply can't make their farming um, productive and profitable um, enough. And then, of course, I mean that has to do with you know what are the market prices for for cocoa and and how how is it cultivated and 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 also how much investment or not can you as a farmer put into your farm to make sure that you have the level of productivity that you actually need to make a profitable farm um and then it's of course also i mean a matter of access to land um so we're talking about quite small uh farms here of uh i mean many times less than 2 hectares and then, of course, it's also, I mean, to, to get uh, get to afford enough laborers, um, cocoa, I mean, in in, um, in in the high seasons are, are really labor intense um, as well. So, um, so, so really, I mean, there it comes with a lot of costs and investments to make it um, profitable. And then, of course, you need to be paid um, for that as well. Will you and your team engage with companies on behalf of investors on topics such as this? Can you share what that engagement looks like with the chocolate companies? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So this is, yeah, this is obviously obviously what we do, right? So, I mean, yeah, besides Coco, my my colleagues are also um, also engaging companies on on living income and living wages in the garment sector, um, in the ICT sector, in the constructing um, construction sector as well. Uh, but as you say, I'm, I've been mostly focused in at least in recent years on on Coco. Um, so what we do, I mean, we've, so cocoa is quite a concentrated industry. So, um, so with quite a, engaging with quite a few companies, we're still sort of in a sense reaching, um, you know, the, the broader, um, cocoa market actually. Um, so what we do mostly is, um, our bilateral dialogues with, with the companies and then together with our investor clients. Um, so it's, um, I mean, those are, those are those are dialogues where we try to, of course, first, I mean, really understand where the company is coming from, understand what they're doing. Um, so in this case, obviously, to to address the issue of child labor and um, and enable uh, small scale cocoa farmers to earn a living income. And I mean, the cocoa and, and chocolate companies have many activities, actions, initiative in place uh, already on this. So it's also also very much of you know, having these continuous dialogues to also hold them accountable for what what did they promise last time? What do they have in their policies? What are the the next steps going forward? But then, of course, I mean, you know, if I do my work well, I can also come with suggestions. Um, I can perhaps also connect companies to new initiatives, to other sectors, bringing good examples, um, and so on. So, where I spend quite a lot of time as well is also to to basically keep um, an, a live network uh, with with expert type of organizations with uh, with NGO with research institutions. So really looking at you know where is the where are the the most knowledgeable people in in the area that I'm I'm engaging on, um, and and where is the where is the agenda heading and who's leading that drive to to push the, the the needle forward, so to speak. Um, so so that's that's also sort of the space where you know where we try to be visible as well um, and and make the case for you know why do investors care about this topic and and in a sense then sort of lend our leverage to to pushing um, you know whatever ESG agenda it is um, at hand forward. So that's that's what I'm trying to do also in. Uh, living income and, and living wages and, and child labor. What are some companies that have made commitments to paying a living wage throughout their supply chain? Yeah, so I mean, we've seen, uh, so I think an, an early mover in, in Cocoa was uh, the Dutch company, Tony's Circle Only. Um, and, and they are also, I mean, a very value-based company in a sense that they started with um, with with the quest to to actually show that you you can make cocoa without uh, resorting to child labor, um, so so they have they have such a commitment uh, on living income as well, and we've seen I mean more of the sort of more mainstream larger players um, also also making commitments. So um, so Olam for example the the, the cocoa trading companies or agricultural trading companies um, has such a commitment as well uh, on cocoa specifically. And, um, um, and then we have, uh, we have other companies that, um, that, that have followed. So I know Unilever quite recently uh, made such a commitment as well. 
and and I think more interestingly in, in a sense because this I mean requires collaboration to you know to get to the systemic level so it's you know it's it's not enough for one company to drive this alone of course um, and and we've seen um, also quite a number of initiatives in Coco um, in in various different um, uh, jurisdictions so uh, so in several European company uh, countries sorry um, there are there are these cocoa initiatives um, so there is beyond chocolate for example where well, several um, several players have come together. So this is everything from cocoa uh, cocoa traders to uh, to chocolate brand companies to to uh, food retailers uh, as well uh, that have come together. And and one of their commitments is is to enable uh, a living income for uh, for small scale cocoa farmers. Um, but but further further on into the future, because this is not, I mean, also something that you solve from from one day to another. So they have a, a 2030 commitment, for example. And there are other such um, similar examples as well. Great. Well, do you have any other resources for investors that are interested in learning more about this topic? Yeah, so so there, I mean, there, yeah, there is quite a lot of um, of research um, done um, on this topic. So, but but I would point to um, uh, a multi stakeholder network called the Living Income Community of Practice. Um, so 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 I mean, yeah, as I was saying, it's a multi stakeholder network with um, with standard setting certification type of organizations, also lots of companies. Uh, civil society organizations um, and so on and they have an excellent website with lots of uh, lots of resources so everything from living income benchmarks to sort of how do you go about actually um, working with living income if you're a company and you're new to to the topic how do you go about doing it so so lots of lots of great reports there um and 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 there is a, a similar site on on living wage um so the global living wage coalition i would point to there are others but but this is also really good i think and and they have done uh, lots of different benchmarks in different geographies that i think are really helpful if you're again a company and you're new to it also as an investor if you want to you know get started and, and really understand what is what is this all about and also see the actually the discrepancy between uh, living benchmark studies that have been done and and what are the the minimum um, uh, the minimum wages um, set in countries so that's that's quite interesting how well, I mean, it's it's quite unfortunate to be honest. That's probably a better word. Um, how much there of a difference there is, so how much more it actually requires to have a a living wage or a living income compared to to the minimum uh, wage set by, um, I mean, legally set in in uh, in countries. And 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 maybe I'll I'll just mention. I mean, one one more thing. I mean, to if you sort of want to zoom out a little bit, see like what does this look like at, on on a global level, and and you know how actually how big the problem um, the problem actually is. Um, I would I would definitely point to uh, ILO reports. Um, there, I mean, there is there is just lots of statistics on you know what what does the the overall labor market look like in terms of wages but also other conditions and labor market flows uh, and so on so very informative wonderful what is your favorite impact investing resource it can be a podcast book blog anything 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I must say um, if, you know, to, to, to sort of like um, keep an ear on, on the ground, um, I think what I'm mostly turn to is is my LinkedIn feed to be honest um because that's I mean that's really where I you know can see some snapshots and I can you know I can tune in of course if I see something really interesting so in terms of um in terms of responsible investments I think I mean obviously there are you know good good other papers as well that I think I mean um your audience will know of already but but that's that's normally actually what I turn to um and but in 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 my job and also you know being trying to stay attuned by you know more like the the topical issues as as such and 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 you know having the time actually to deep dive a little bit more into them i try also to look quite a lot beyond responsible investment or or sustainable finance um specific papers or 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 materials um and 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 rather i mean go look then what i mean what they have on at, at the living income community of practice or um i i recently started to uh to look uh, look at a, a podcast um by a, a cambridge um scholar um called wayne visser so he has uh, he has a podcast uh called thriving which is quite it's quite interesting because what I mean, what he I think his his message there is to say that, well, I mean, we we're talking about sustainability and that's good, but that's in a sense just, so to speak, to to maintain um to maintain what we have in a sense. Uh, but he has this this concept of thriving um instead, which is you know really to look at a more ambitious agenda and and look at you know what would make us thrive um as as humans and 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 our planet of course um as well so i think that's that's also quite you know quite a refreshing angle um i think and 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 something that i mean in a sense i also hear in you know looking at the the living income and living wage space again um people are more and more saying like well i mean reaching a living income or a living wage is that's just that's just a start uh, i mean that's the hygiene level in in a sense um but but what does it actually take if we want to you know make make people really prosperous and thriving um so i think i think that's um yeah in terms of sort of wish, visioning for for the future i think um i think this is this is really inspiring i love that thank you is there anything else that you want to share um I think I mean going back maybe to to what I said on on the ILO sources and and bringing this to to scale um a little bit so I mean obviously in, in Coco in itself we're talking about millions of of people so it's you know if we can if we can drive change here there it can really be quite impactful um but you know tuning out and zooming out a little bit further um, I mean, actually, what we're talking about. Um, so, so there is. I mean, again, pointing to an ILO report, and and this is even before the pandemic. Uh, they stated that um, that that three hundred, uh, sorry, six hundred and thirty million workers uh, worldwide actually didn't earn enough to support uh, themselves and and their families. And and since then, we know that. Um, I mean, there. Something around um, 75, 95 million 
people in addition that that are now living um, beyond um, below the, the poverty line, so living in extreme uh, poverty after the the pandemic. Um, so so I mean, obviously, just to point out that the quest is huge here. The challenge is is huge, um, but that's I mean, again, you know. That's that's really, I mean, I think what what should be driving us here. There is so much opportunities to to do better um, and and actually make a real change. Wonderful. Thank you for chatting with me. Thank you so much. Sina mentioned that chocolate companies have initiatives in place, and I just wanted to share an example of one. Nestle's trying to scale a program where they pay cash incentives via mobile transfer to farmers that meet certain criteria. The program recognizes that poverty is a driving force in child labor and is trying to remedy that by increasing the income for the farmers. Nestle is paying a base level of income to farmers that register with the program. Farmers are then paid additional for each of the following items. Enrolling all children in the household ages 6 to 16 in school. Implementing good agricultural practices such as pruning, which can increase productivity. Performing agroforestry activities to increase climate resilience, such as planting shade trees. And generating additional sources of income, such as growing other crops, keeping bees, or raising livestock. I have links to this initiative as well as other sites mentioned during the episode on investingforwardpodcast.com. Thank you for joining me. My name is Linda Rogers. You were listening to Investing Forward. If you liked what you heard, leave us a rating, subscribe, and stay tuned for next time. Linda Rogers is the owner of Planning Within Reach, a registered investment advisor. Planning Within Reach produces the podcast and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Linda Rogers and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinions and are not necessarily the views and opinions of Planning Within Reach. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become Planning Within Reach clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of Planning Within Reach may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. 
The Investing Forward podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, or conduct your own due diligence.